You may ask, how did this tradition get started? I'll tell you. I don't know. But it's a tradition. And because of our traditions, every one of us knows who he is and what God expects him to do. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Let's Talk Torah. I am Rabbi Sweet Jacobson with NRM Streamcast, and we'll spend our time talking Torah, learning stuff, and having fun while we learn. You can always send your questions and comments to our mailbag at letstalktorah at gmail.com, and of course, I will answer as many as I can. Well, the Purim holiday is upon us. A fun, joyous holiday. Um, as someone said recently, really is supposed to be happy all year round. But Purim time, the month of Adar, we're supposed to be extra happy. But today, we're going to do just one show, and I wanted to touch on as many facets of the Purim story as I could, but I wanted to first try and experiment. I want to go through just the Purim story, just what we call the Megillah, just that part without too much historical background, should take me, I don't know, I bet I could do it in about two minutes, and then we'll, we'll take it apart. See, here we go. So the third year of Ahasuerus's reign, he is in his new capital city called Shushan. He makes first a party um, with his officers from all his 127 countries, and then he makes a private party for the city of Shushan itself. At the party, of course, they're drinking, and Ahasuerus calls for his wife. She refuses to come. Uh, Haman is one of the lower officers. Haman suggests to the king that uh, you cannot allow your wife, the queen, to just disobey you. So therefore, either she must be banished or killed, debatable what it means, and Vashti is done away with. Okay? I guess a few days later, the king wakes up. No wife. So his, advi- his uh, servants say, you know, why don't you just uh, make a party? Another party. We like parties. And, uh, but this one, we're going to collect girls from around the country. Beautiful girls. Bring them into your harem. Try them out. And uh, whoever you like best will be the new queen. We'll have a uh, whatever you want to call those parties. In any case, um, Esther and Mordechai live in the capital city of Shushan, and eventually Esther is discovered. They bring her to the king's palace, a very beautiful girl, and when it is her turn, the king says, okay, you are the one, you are my new queen. At that point, um, two of the king's officers plot a, uh, they plot to assassinate the king. Their names were Bigson and Seresh. Mordechai overhears them because they thought he didn't speak their language. He reports it to Esther, reports it to the king, they search, and she and uh, Biggs and Asarish are killed. The notes are placed in the king's uh, chronicles that Mordechai saved his life, but no reward is coming. Afterwards, Haman is appointed as the prime minister. And like every good prime minister, he wants to be all-powerful and he wants everybody bowing down. And everybody bows down but Mordechai. Haman decides... It's not good enough to take out his anger against Mordechai. He has to destroy the whole Jewish people. He makes lots, and with his calculations, the best day to destroy the Jewish people is almost a year later. 
on the 13th of Adar, which happens to be today. It's called Tainus Esther. He goes to the king, and uh, at least in the Megillah itself, it's not clear who he's talking about. Again, you have to remember that this document is written while Ahasuerus is king, so it's hard to imagine they can write a document that puts Ahasuerus in a bad light. So he goes to the king. There's a nation. They don't serve any purpose. They're spread out. Um, and if you're worried about the taxes, I'll give you 10,000 loaves of silver. Um, I would like to have them executed, destroyed. The king says, here's my ring. Do what you wish. Haman sends out the proclamations almost immediately. This is taking place, um, I believe, on the 13th of Nisan, or within a day or two of that. Um, Mordechai finds out about it. He sends a message to Esther. Esther says, you know, now is not a good time to see the king. You know, I haven't seen him for a month. I'm sure he'll call me one of these days. Mordechai says, this, the fact that you're in the king's palace as a Jewish girl doesn't make sense. And, by the way, she has not told Ahasuerus that she is Jewish. So the fact that you're there is God setting things up. But you know what? If God wants to find another way to save the Jewish people, so either you're in or you're out. So she says, okay, if you want me in, you got to gather the Jewish people, have them fast and pray for three days. And Mordechai says, no problem. On the third day, so they're still fasting, Esther goes to speak to the king. Now, the rule was that if you do not have an appointment, if you are not called in, if you walk into the king's throne room without permission, they will execute you immediately unless the king notices and puts out his scepter. Esther comes in, the king sees her, puts out her scepter, Esther, what do you want? And interesting enough, Esther does not request what she wants. Um, she says, uh, I made a party. I would like to make a private party with the king and Haman. King and Haman come to the party. And again, Esther does not make her request to save the Jewish people, which is something we should talk about. And the king says, okay, Esther, you came in. You, you, you put your life in danger to come meet me. You uh, made a beautiful here private party with me and Haman. What do you want? Up to half the kingdom. I'll give it to you, whatever you want. So Esther says, you know, I tell you what. If the king will let me have one more party tomorrow, then I'll tell the king what I want. Okay. King goes back home, and Haman goes back home. Haman is dancing. Whoa, me and the king and the queen private party. And he sees Mordechai not bowing down. He cannot handle the fact that, that as powerful as he is, someone is not bowing down. He goes home, he speaks to his wife, and he says, we got to do something about this, Mordechai. I am so powerful, I am so important, I get all the honor I want, and this low life is still bothering me. So the wife says... Get yourself a gallows, 50 cubits high. Go to the king tomorrow morning and ask the king permission to hang Mordechai. You're all powerful. The king will not care. And Haman says, great idea, but I think I'll go tonight. Meanwhile, the king can't sleep. Why is Esther inviting Haman to a party two days in a row? Why is she not talking to him? Why is she not telling him what's on her mind? Can't sleep. So he asks for the records to be read. Because in those days, one of the ways you made sure that there was no revolutions, no assassination plots, was you rewarded tattletalers. So the king figures, let's check. Maybe there's someone that I didn't reward, so no one will bother stepping forward, because why bother stepping forward to tattletale when the king doesn't reward you anyways? Sure enough, they discover that Mordechai was never rewarded. As soon as he discovers that, um, he finds out... he. He notices, uh, it's announced, Haman is in the courtyard. 
What are you doing in my courtyard in the middle of the night? Right? The king is worried about an assassination plot. And here Haman is in the middle of the night. Haman comes in. And the king figures he'll test him. you got to love these tests because Haman doesn't realize that the king is nervous. And the king knows how Haman thinks. So he says to Haman, what should be done to the man whom the king wishes to honor? Haman thinks, honor? The only people you honor are people you can't reward with money. I'm the only guy. Everybody else needs money. I have so much money. The only thing you could possibly give me is honor. The king must be referring to me. He doesn't know it's referring to Mordechai, right? Like, hello, you turn everything on its head. Haman says, oh, he should wear the king's royal robes, and he should, wear the, he should ride the king's horse, and he should wear the king's crown. Now, again, Ahasuerus thinks Haman wants to create an uprising. Haman basically asks, dress me up like the king and parade me through the streets. So the king is not pleased. And Ahasuerus says, great idea, Haman. You'll, you'll put all these things on Mordechai and parade him through the streets. Okay, Haman has no choice. He goes, finds Mordechai. Happens that Mordechai is studying Torah with 22,000 children. And they're learning about uh, a Passover, a sacrifice brought on the, on the Passover holiday. And Haman has no choice. He must parade Mordechai through the streets, parades him through the streets. And, um, okay, Haman gets through the streets. Mordechai goes back to his fasting and his praying. And meanwhile, Haman is all filthy for many reasons, but just for marching Mordechai through the street, and already the king's guards are there to tell Haman, You're, we, we got to take you to the party. No time to change, no time to clean up. You got to go. So now we're at the party. At the party, again, the king says to Esther, what do you want? Now Esther has seen that Mordechai is on the way up and Haman is on the way down. This is the time to act. So she says, your majesty, I would like to live, me and my people. Because you're prime minister here. Well, she doesn't say prime minister. She says, because we've been sold out. We're going to be killed. So the Ahasuerus foolishly seems to ask, um, who exactly wants to kill you? So Esther points and says, Haman, this wicked Haman, he wants to kill me. Ahasuerus is furious. He gets up. I guess he didn't like to make decisions too quickly. He goes to his garden. And in the meanwhile, Haman is pleading for his life. Now, very strange verse. When the king walks back in, the verse says that Haman was falling on Esther. So the, the Talmud says that an angel came and was pushing Haman onto Esther, so the king would be even more furious. The king sees this. He says, you're going to kill her here right in front of me? And in those days, if you got a king angry, they immediately covered your head. Haman's head was covered. And uh, then one of... Haman's buddies, somebody who was on Haman's team, as I told my class today, but now he sees Haman's in trouble. So he says, Your Majesty, not only is this Haman a wicked guy, you see the gallows over there, 50 cubits high, you can see it from here. Uh, Haman was coming to ask permission for Mordechai to be hung, the same Mordechai that saved the king's life. So the king says, That's it, hang Haman. Now you would think, that this should be the end of all the problems. Um, Esther Mordechai should go back to the king and say, you know those, those, that decree that Haman sent out with your signature on it? Um, can we just take back the letters and everybody will be happy? Uh, but the king says no. 
Now, what's interesting is it took them 70 days, because it says the dates in the Megillah, 70 days till they asked the king. So it's the 23rd of Sivan. So it's, you know, Nisan, Ir, Sivan, it's uh, two and a half months almost. So it, why it took 70 days, good question. But again, I'm, I'm just ripping through the story here, taking much longer than I thought. It's amazing, even when I try to rush. So they go to the king and they say, you know, please, re, you know, take back the decree. The king, interestingly enough, says, I cannot take back the letter. To take back a letter with the king's signature is very embarrassing. Very embarrassing a king should do such a thing. You can write new letters. But remember, you don't have to worry because everyone's going to see Mordechai is my new prime minister. So even though the original letter said annihilate the Jews, but they see now I've changed my mind. They see now Mordechai is in charge. So you now have permission to form your own armies. You can protect yourselves. My officers are on your side. And everybody will run scared. Having no choice, they sent out the second letters. And uh, Mordechai becomes second in command. He is the new prime minister. Uh, many people were actually converting to the side of the Jews. The, the whole attitude completely changed. But at the end of the day, there was a war. On the 13th of Adar, again, that's today, there's a war. The verse says in Shushan they killed 500 people. Um, the rest of the country they killed 75,000. That was the Jews killed 75,000 outside of Shushan. 500 were killed in Shushan and 10 of Haman's sons. Ahasuerus says to Esther, okay, you got what you wanted, now what? He says, you know what? We would like to hang the 10 sons of Haman and we would like one more day. So the king says, fine. So they hang the 10 sons of Haman and they have battles for one more day. Another 300 are killed. And that, for the most part, is the end of the story. However, it continues that Mordechai and Esther wanted the Purim holiday to be celebrated through, you know, as one of the Jewish holidays. Um, so they write letters and everyone should accept the Purim story, they should recognize the miracle. And part of the miracle is we are together. How do you show togetherness? You have to have a festive meal. You have to give presents to poor people. You have to send food packages to friends. And you have to read over the story every year. And as this Megillah, which we're going to read tonight, and tomorrow has to be read every year, um, and it was accepted, and everyone did it, and... Interesting, the Megillah has a short little, like, two-verse ending that uh, all of Mordechai's greatness and all the things he did are all written in, in, uh, in the documents of Paris and Madai. That is the quick version of the Purim story, and believe it or not, it took me close to 15 minutes, which means I don't have too much time left, left to touch on a few points. The first question I want to ask you is... Um, there's been a lot of miracles throughout history of the Jewish people being saved. Like, why was this one picked? We could find lots, lots, lots of miracles. Jewish people saved over and over. Why is Purim the big deal? So there's two things that happen. Number one, it's the first real hidden miracle. And I, was, I told you the story in 15 minutes. And it sounds like the story could have taken place, you know, if it was a, if it was a movie or a television show, it could take place in 45 minutes. Right? And you would think that's how long it took in real life. It actually took 12 years. From the beginning of the story, till Esther gets married, till Haman becomes prime minister, 
until he writes his documentation. It was a 12-year story. And if you don't see the whole story as one, then you don't realize that there was a miracle going on. So first of all, because it was a hidden miracle when we were in exile and we needed to see that God has taken care of us, so Mordechai and Esther have this story written down to say, sometimes you don't see the whole picture. You need to, and you, don't, you can't always know the whole picture. So therefore, we're going to celebrate this miracle. By celebrating this miracle, we recognize that we don't always see the whole, the whole, the whole shebang. We don't see everything. We don't see how God's hand, having Vashti executed, um, having uh, Esther become queen, and Mordechai already was an officer, and then first Haman is allowed to get into his position of power. The only way to see the whole picture is sometimes to either be able to take a big, you know, a, a wide view picture of history or have somebody tell you. And in this case, it was Mordechai and Esther were telling the Jewish people how God took care of us. That would be one reason. So it's a lesson not only then, but a lesson for us that in exile, God's taking care of us. A second reason, and it would seem even more important, is there's a verse in the Megillah that says that the Jewish people re-accepted the Torah. What do you re-accepted the Torah? Why is that part of the Purim story? At least the Purim story that we have, you don't see that. Now, there are other documents and and, uh, books that discuss that the learning of Torah was also going to be curtailed. But for what we can read just out of the Megillah, why is it telling us about that we re-accept it? And the answer is, at Mount Sinai, we gladly accepted the written Torah, but we had a problem with the oral law because we knew the rabbis at the end of the day were, and we've talked about this in some previous shows, at the end of the day, the rabbis were in charge of the oral law. So maybe there's no end. We didn't know as a nation what that means that the rabbis are in charge of the oral law. They give it over, they disseminate it, and they explain it to us. Now we saw by the Purim story, which is a good thousand years after we got the Torah, right? Now that we saw the Purim story, now we know that everything the rabbis do is in our best interest. Mordechai refused to bow down. It looks like a bad idea, and maybe we'll discuss it. Uh, Mordechai tells us to fast. Mordechai tells Esther to go to the king. You don't know. Some of these things seem to be bad ideas. But we need to learn from the story that these great rabbis are only doing what's in our best interest, and they have God backing them up because they know everything in the Torah and the whole oral law. They understand God's language. They understand what God wants, and they understand the direction we should go in. Okay. Um, it is interesting, um, as we just mentioned, we'll touch on a few little points of the story we went through. Mordechai doesn't bow down. Why not? Why don't bow down? Like, what's the big deal? You're allowed to bow down to a person. You know you're going to get him angry. So there's numerous versions of why or ideas. Some say Haman had an idol. Mordechai doesn't have to bow down to an idol. Others say the decree really wasn't for Mordechai. It was the people have to bow down. Um, but not officers. Mordechai is an officer. Um, the king didn't demand to bow down. Haman would demand it. Um, another important piece of information is that Mordechai and Haman have old history together. They were both generals for Ahasuerus, and they had gone together, each with about 6,000 soldiers, to put down a rebellion. Haman's group went ahead, and uh, you know they, 
They ate and drank, and they 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 they, they uh, got rid of all their supplies. Hamel comes to Mordechai and says, "I got no supplies. They're going to revolt." Mordechai says, "I'll, I'll go ahead and share our supplies, but uh, you're my slave. You got to write me a document. You're my slave." And it, when Haman came by, Mordechai showed him the document. Some say it was on a piece of armor on his on his foot. So uh, numerous reasons why Mordechai says, "I do not need to bow down to him." Now, would it have been a would the whole story not have happened if Mordechai would have just bowed down? Probably the story wouldn't be the way it was. But Mordechai had all these interesting reasons that I'm not bowing down. Ah, it's terrible things could happen. God's going to take care of us on this one. I'm not worried about it, which is really, really quite fascinating. Another important point, which we did mention as we ran through the story. Haman tells Achashverosh, he says, don't worry about wiping out a whole nation. It won't make like a bald spot. It won't like wipe out a whole area. It's not wiping out like a whole state like Texas. It's not doing that. These Jews are spread out. They have nothing to do with each other. They're all individuals. They're not, they're not a unit. And that's what Esther and Mordechai need to reaccomplish. They go ahead and they say, everybody has to fast for three days. We're one nation. We have to act like one nation. We have to pray together. We have to fast together. When we battle the, the, those that wanted to fight with us, so what is the, how do we celebrate the holiday? All things that show togetherness. We're going to send food packages. We're going to take care of the poor. We're going to have um, festive meals with people. And we're going to gather together to hear the Megillah Red. So Haman said, we're separate. <clears throat> Mordechai and Esther understood that could be our problem. Our strength is when we are together. Um, another interesting question Again, I'm just trying to touch on a few quick things. Um, after the battle was won, so Esther says, let's hang the ten sons of Haman. Why? They're dead. Who cares? Why hang them? So it's interesting. Really, really, this is the 70-year period between the first and second temple. And, and Koresh was one of the in-between kings that allowed the temple to start being rebuilt. When Ahasuerus took over, um, they put a stop to that. In the original rule and decree that the temples are allowed to be rebuilt, Korah said anybody who stops the building of the temple is going to be hung. These ten sons of Haman happen to be, um, happen to be um, the ten people, is another verse, that put a stop to the building of the temple. So the world will see, remember there was an original decree, that anybody who stopped, stops the building will be hung, these 10 guys put a stop to the building. Sure enough, they were hung. Okay, what else is fascinating? Um, this I saw is really amazing. Why was Ahasuerus so into, and I was, we know Ahasuerus knew what was going on, and he wanted to allow Haman to annihilate the Jews. What changed his mind? Fascinating. So Ahasuerus knew through his astrology that um, a Jewish person would be king after him. He couldn't handle it. What do you mean, a Jewish person is going to be king after me? If a Jewish person is king after me, that means I'm losing my rulership. So he was all gung-ho with Haman wipe out every last Jew. If all the Jews are killed, no one can take my throne from me. That astrology will just have to be reworked somehow. What happens? Haman and Ahasuerus 
and Esther are all together by the party. And Esther says, Haman wants to kill me. Well, who are you? I am the great-granddaughter of King Saul, and I am Jewish. So Ahasuerus is sitting there saying, whoa, one second. If you, my wife, are Jewish, that means our child is Jewish. So the astrology that says, or the astronomy that says that the next king will be Jewish is my kid from you. Huh. I don't need this whole plan. I'm happy to get rid of Haman. How dare Haman try to execute you. And life is beautiful. It is an amazing holiday coming up. So much fun. So many things happening. The children, everybody should be safe and healthy and well. But the music is playing. I hope you enjoyed it short and sweet. Thank you, of course, to the sponsors and listeners. You know, I can't do it without you. Thank you to my production team. We have Kelsey and Alan in the back. I hope I left you some food for thought. Until next time, I am Rabbi Tweet Jacobson. You've been listening to Let's Talk Torah and I'm Streamcast. Until next time, don't forget to think about it.